0: We are so excited to have this class for kids and teens um, here with the FFAC. And um, who we have with us today is Alexis Miller. And Alexis has a Master of Arts in Teaching from the Maryland Institute College of Art and recently acquired her Humane Education Practitioner Certification from the Institute of Humane Animal Connection. Alexis has worked in a variety of educational settings, which include over five years at farmed animal sanctuaries. Today, Alexis is beyond grateful to be working for the Factory Farming Awareness Coalition to bring awareness and empower young people to end industrialized animal agriculture in order to create a just sustainable food system for all. Alexis and her dog, George, live in Denver, Colorado, where together they enjoy sure. hiking, but together they enjoy hiking, climbing, swimming, or pretty much anything else that involves um, bringing outside um, in nature. And I will refrain from saying her name again. So <laughs> the floor is yours.
1: <laughs> all right. Hello. Um, yes, that happens all the time with my name. That's why I can't have um, Alexa in my house, because that would just go off all the time. Um, so no problem. <laughs> Um, yes, so my name is Alexis, and I am very excited to be here. Uh, thank you so much, um, Shemayan, uh Jewish Animal Advocacy team for having me. I'm really excited. Uh, and again, I'm Alexis. I'm out here in Denver, Colorado with my dog, George, who is taking a snooze right next to me, but if you do hear like a little grunting and groaning, that might be him asking me for to take him out on a walk, which I will not do um, during this time. Um, but yes, we are, I come with um, with FFAC, Factory Farming Awareness Coalition. And we are a nonprofit that talks to folks about our food choices and the impacts of our food choices. So if we have any viewers here who are interested in things like social and environmental justice, um, which I have a feeling we probably do because y'all seem like a very compassionate organization who cares about others, who cares about the environment, Um, We're going to talk about that today and how that all uh, ties into factory farming and basically factory farming's impact on things like um, the animals, the planet and others. So we are so quick little kind of outline here of what we'll be talking about. So again, factory farming basics, some standard practices that are used on factory farms with the animals in our food system, how workers are treated in this industry, um, how the environment is treated. And at the end here, we'll talk about some ways that we can take action to try and improve this system that is a huge part of all of our lives, um, which is kind of interesting, right? Because we don't normally talk about this subject matter very often, even though it is a huge part of, of all of our lives. Um, so we'll start with a little bit of marketing here. And I'm sure that some of you, at least probably most of you, I'm guessing, grew up singing Old McDonald Had a Farm, Old McDonald had a farm, E-I-E-I-O, that one. Um, So Old McDonald's farm, this is kind of like what we see, right? When we walk into a grocery store. So we see these packaging labels that show us that The animals have all this space. They are living these luxurious lives. They have grass to graze on. They're happy cows. Um, We see the little red barn. And as I'm here to talk about, this is not actually what farming looks like anymore. So rather than old McDonald's farming practices, which is kind of what we see again when we walk into grocery stores, we're surrounded by this image, um, but rather than that sort of practice, we have instead factory farms, or the technical term is concentrated animal feeding operations, or CAFOs for short. And this is the practice of keeping thousands of animals in confinement. So. You can see from these images here you see all of the pigs that are crowded together so cows that are crowded together very different from um, that crystal creamery package that we just saw Uh, the chickens that are crowded together and this is basically what farming looks like in today's world so Um, normally I like to guess, and if we have anyone who is on the chat, um, who are, who's answering some of these questions, I will be asking some questions and just giving our audience here a moment to think about the answer before I reveal it. Um, so if you had to guess how many land animals, so not including sea life, are in our food system. So are being bred and killed for their meat, dairy, and eggs every single year in the United States. So just give you a minute to think about that number. What do you think every single year in the United States? How many animals are being bred and killed in our food system? All right. The answer is 10 billion. So 10 billion animals. That is quite a large number. And I don't know if you're like me but numbers can be really abstract and kind of hard to visualize so i like to bring up another point um to kind of put this number in perspective so on the planet currently we only have approaching eight billion humans on the entire planet so What does that mean? That means that we have more animals in our food system just here in the U.S. than we have humans populating the entire planet. So just to put that number in perspective a little bit. And again, this is only land animals. For sea life, it is about 47 billion aquatic animals are killed for our food system each year, Um, so a much, much larger number. Now of these 10 billion animals that are in our food system, how many or what percentage do you think are coming from factory farms? So I'll just give you a minute to think about that answer in your head. And if anybody guessed close to 99%, they were correct. Um, So about almost 100%, all of these 10 billion animals in our food system are coming from factory farms. So again, what does that mean? That means pretty much anytime we go into a grocery store or we order an animal product from a restaurant, there is a 99% chance, almost 100% chance that that product is coming from an animal who is raised on a factory farm. So I want to take a minute and talk about what life is like for all of these animals in our food system. Not all of them. I'm actually just going to pull out a few because we don't have enough time to go over all of them. Um, But I want to introduce you to some individuals who came from our food system. Um, I'll start with Robbie here. This is a picture of Robbie and I cuddling. Robbie is the hen here in the picture. Um, She is from Love and Arms Animal Sanctuary out here in Colorado, and she was rescued from the egg industry. So I want to talk a moment about that industry. Um, So surprisingly enough, um, and by the way, Robbie was extremely, extremely lucky to be rescued from that industry and to make her way to a sanctuary where she could live out the rest of her life in peace. Um, Not many animals get this opportunity, but Robbie was one of the very, very few lucky ones that was able to find sanctuary. Um, So in the industry, in the egg industry, chickens like Robbie are bred to lay as many eggs as possible. So as we can see, about 300 eggs per year for one chicken. And This number, to put, again, to put this number in perspective, because numbers are kind of abstract, um, the original chickens, like the red and gray jungle fowl, who originated from Southeast Asia, uh, they would only lay about 10 to 15 eggs per year. So one chicken would lay about 10 to 15 eggs per year. So now we've bred chickens in our egg industry to lay 300 eggs for, per year. So as you can imagine, that was really tough, really stressful on Robbie's body. And I want to talk a little bit about, again, what her life was like before she came to sanctuary. So shortly after Robbie was born, she had the very tip of her beak cut off um, without any painkillers. And this is called de-beaking. And this is a process that happens with chickens who are hatched into the egg industry um and some of you may have heard of a uh the pecking order with chickens so chickens have social hierarchies just like we do um, so kind of like uh if you are a student um social hierarchy might go teacher principal um so basically Different chickens have different powers and different social structures, and the way they figure them out is by pecking each other a little bit. Um, but when they're living in factory farms and they're in these really crowded situations, they can't figure out their pecking order. So what will happen is they can actually peck each other to death, which is not good for the industry because then they're not able to use them for their eggs. So that is why they have the very tips of their beak seared off. Um, So after that happens, when they get big enough, uh, when Robbie got big enough, she was then put into what's called a battery cage. And battery cages, as you can see here, they're these really small cages that um, have as many chickens as possible fit in them basically. And these chickens don't have very much space at all to live in for their entire lives, they have about the size of a sheet of paper to live on so not very much space and we can kind of relate to this right during the pandemic we went through a lockdown most of us probably. And we didn't have a whole lot of space uh, to express ourselves and do the things that we would normally, excuse me do. Um, And that was very stressful for us because it's unnatural, right? We like to be free. We like to move about. Um, Same thing with these animals. They don't even have enough space to spread their wings. So luckily, during our lockdown, we were able to stretch, we were able to move about a little bit, um, which is something that these animals like Robbie here were not given in the egg industry. All right, so I do have a couple of cuteness interludes um, and we've reached our first one now because I know that this information can be really heavy, especially if you're hearing it for the first time. And this is also information that is often not discussed, right? So we're talking about a topic today that normally we don't discuss. We don't think about maybe, we don't talk about it. Um, So I do wanna just take this time to thank everyone for considering this topic today, because again, it's a huge part of our lives and has a lot of different impacts. Um, So if you need to take a breath and stare into the eyes of these cute little chicks for a moment, can do that. All right. So, um, and I, I guess I'll just check in. Do we, do we have like anyone asking questions on a chat or anything like that? No. Okay. All right. So I'll keep moving then. Um, so I'm going to move on to cows, specifically cows who are used in the dairy industry. And this is honey who was used to produce milk for human consumption. So used in the dairy industry. And one thing that I always like to ask, because I didn't know the answer to this for most of my life, what needs to happen to a cow in order for them to produce milk in the first place? So for most of my life, I will say that I thought that cows were magical milk machines and they just spontaneously produced milk. But, and that's really the reason why I thought that is because marketing kind of teaches us that, right? Um, no one tells us the truth, which is that cows are mammals, right? They're just like us. They're just like our cats. They're just like our dogs. They're just like humans. And the only way for a mammal's body to produce milk is if they're pregnant and they give birth to a baby. So In this industry, the cows are impregnated and then they have a baby and then their body produces milk. So what happens to all those babies that are born into this industry? I'm going to share a short video of what happens. And this is actually um, pretty like best case scenario. You'll notice that the cows have lots of pasture, things like that. Um, but you'll see that the mother calf and the baby calf are being separated in the video. So I'll just p- play that really briefly here.
2: This kelpchen wurde erst letzte Nacht geboren. Doch die wenigen guten Augenblicke seines Lebens sind bereits vorbei. Es ist nicht mehr als ein Nebenprodukt der Milchindustrie. Darum wird es seiner Mutter weggenommen und in einen engen Verschlag gesperrt, um dann getötet, um zu Kalbfleisch verarbeitet zu werden. Die beiden werden einander nie wiedersehen. Wir wissen von Mutterkühen, die wochenlang nach ihren Kälbchen geschrien haben. In etwa vier Jahren, wenn die Milchleistung dieser Kuh nachlässt, wird auch sie getötet, um Hamburgerfleisch aus ihr zu machen. Das ist der Preis, den eine Mutter und ihr Baby für unseren Konsum an Fleisch- und Milchprodukten zahlen.
1: Okay, so basically, we saw that the calves are always taken away from the mothers because if they were to stay with their mothers, then they would drink up all that milk that the industry is trying to sell for human consumption, for humans to drink. Um, So, after Honey had her cow, her calf taken away from her, she was hooked up to a machine three times a day that took the milk that was intended for her baby calf. And this, um, this occurred over and over again. She was impregnated, had her calf taken away, and was hooked up to machine until her body could no longer produce a quality amount of milk for the industry. Um, so if this video made you sad, uh, there is good news. There are tons of different milks out there that are coming from plants. Uh, such as almond milk, cashew milk, soy milk. You've probably tried some. They're pretty popular. You can find them in your local grocery stores very easily these days. And um, choosing these milks allows calves, uh, cows like Honey to keep their calves and to live with them and to allow them to drink the milk that is intended for them. Um, Next, I want to move on to pigs. So we're going to talk about pigs a little bit. Uh, We'll start with a cute mama video of a or video of a mama pig who was rescued from a factory farm and is experiencing uh, freedom for the first time. All right. And as you can see, I always like to say that she she kind of has these zoomies here that um, my dog tends to get. He's probably going to get them after this time that we're spending together right now. Um, he gets very, very excited. And you can see that the pig is doing the same thing. She's very excited to be outside and she's acting very playfully. So Unfortunately for most pigs in this industry, for most mama pigs who are used to breed um, piglets, who are used in for like pork and sausage and bacon, things like that. Um, they will never get to experience that type of freedom that we just saw that mama pig experiencing. And instead, they're kept in these really confined cages, again, so small that they can't even turn around. So again, we can kind of relate to this through the pandemic where we weren't able to move around freely as we may have wanted to. Uh, With these pigs, however, they can't even turn around. So that really affects... These pigs, kind of in the same way that the um, being in lockdown during the pandemic affected us, it really wasn't good for our mental health. Um, it made us depressed and made us sad, uh, or at least many of us. Some people may have enjoyed it, but um, in this situation, uh, the pigs definitely get depressed and sad. And an interesting quote here. Um, that we see from the National Hog Farmer magazine um, that someone said is the breeding sow should be thought of and treated as a valuable piece of machinery whose function is to pump out baby pigs like a sausage machine. And so basically these animals are no longer thought of as sentient or animals with feelings and emotions. Um, They're really thought of as units of production. Um, So one thing that I want to point out here is that I like to ask, could we get away with this if we did this to our dog, who you might hear mine snoring right now? Um, Could we treat our, you know, would I be able to put my dog in a very confined, like lock him in a closet for his entire life? no, right? Um, If anyone found out about that, I could be charged with animal abuse because there are laws that protect these animals that we call pets um, or companion animals. And there are virtually no laws that protect these animals that are in our food system, like pigs and cows and chickens, for example. So one thing that I just like to bring up to consider here is is this okay um so kind of bringing up an ethical question like despite the fact that both of these animals have the same ability to suffer right if we did what we're doing to pigs to dogs they would suffer the same amount um is there a reason that oops <laughs> that would make it okay for us to treat them differently Um, So to treat animals that are in our food system differently, than we treat animals in our homes that sleep in our beds that we call companion animals. Um, So just one thing to consider there, like why do we treat them differently? Is there a good reason for it? Um, Is this okay or is this not okay? And that's kind of an ethical question that only you can answer. So I would just like everyone to kind of think about that. All right. So we've reached our next cuteness interlude. So time to take a breath. um, Just kind of maybe think about that question a little bit. And the last species that I would like to talk about today are fish um, or fishes, as I like to call them. And fishes are often overlooked compared to land animals, right? Um, Even though there is this strong evidence, scientists have found that and proven that they have capacity for suffering. Um, A lot of people have trouble empathizing with them. And it's, you know, it's probably because they have like these fixed faces. They don't express themselves the way that mammals do, for instance. Um, But they do have likes, they have dislikes. Um, We know that now about fishes. So I wanna talk about the fishing industry really quickly. And there are two types of fishing. So one is wild caught and one is farmed fish. And we'll talk about both starting with wild caught fishes. And the problem with wild caught fish is that we're taking so many fish out of the ocean every single year that we're not leaving enough to repopulate. So in the next video, You'll see what I mean. All right, so this is a super trawler and it's a giant industrial ship and it has, you can see this net like that is pulling up all of these fishes and this net could be a mile long and it's pulling up, you know, many different kinds of sea life, actually, but sea life that is not used in our food system will just get thrown overboard. Um, and that sea life is called bycatch. Uh, oh, also, just to give you an idea perspective here, those two little red blobs that you see up there are humans. So you can really see the scale, the size of this net that is pulling in all of these fishes. So. Because we are, um, and again, well, again, we are taking out so many fish from the ocean that each year we're having fewer and fewer fish in the ocean. So we're basically um, depleting our ocean of its fish populations and other species as well. Because like I said before, these nets not only catch fishes, but they catch sharks, they catch sea turtles, they catch whales even. Dolphins, lots of different animals get caught in these nets. Uh, And one other thing to know about these nets is that they are made of plastic. And a lot of times we hear a lot of things about how we can keep plastic out of our oceans, right? Like not using plastic straws, not using plastic bags, which is great. Continue to do that. Um, However, the most efficient way to keep plastic out of our oceans is to not support the fishing industry or to support it as little as possible. Because again, all of those nets that are being used to catch those fishes are made out of plastic. And when those get left in the ocean, they can get tangled around sea life like we can see here with the sea turtle um, and also sea life can eat them uh things like that so the majority of plastic in our oceans is actually coming from not straws not plastic straws not plastic bags but fishing gear like those nets okay so the one um basically because we are taking so many fish out of our ocean every year with these giant nets, right? Um, we are destroying our ocean's fish populations. So we're turning to aquaculture or fish farming, which is basically kind of like what we saw with the animals on land with the pigs and the cows and the chickens, um, And but it's happening underwater. So as we can see here, we can see that Basically, they're all these fish that are clustered in a very small space. They're surrounding um, each other. They're piled on top of each other, and they don't have very much space. Uh, there's lots of disease that can run rampant. Um, there's all of this poop, right, that comes from all these fishes in a concentrated environment that can wash into the ecosystems um, and really destroy destroy surrounding ecosystems where, where these um, Fish farming, uh, uh, fish farms are located. All right. So, another interlude, cuteness interlude with little puffer fish here, Um, who's smiling back at us. Um, And I'll just maybe give it one more check in. Do we have like any questions or anything or in the chat? Nope. Okay. All good. So, I'll keep going. And I want to kind of switch gears and move on to the workers, which is honestly, I I can say for myself someone that I don't normally think about in this industry. So a lot of times when we're purchasing our products, we're going to the grocery store and we're buying food off the shelves and we don't normally think about who needed to do what in order for that product to get there. So I want to give a little attention to who who are the workers in this industry and this industry this This industry of slaughterhouse work these these slaughterhouse workers have extremely dangerous jobs as you can imagine so they're working with machinery that is you know literally meant to dismember body parts of animals they're working with sharp knives and accidents can often happen and as you can imagine when you're working with this dangerous machinery all day every day so a lot of times these workers suffer injuries Um, such as losing fingers or hands or arms um, from working with this dangerous machinery. Um, A lot of times they don't have access to health care. So if they do lose part of their body, they could just get fired. Um, They're also exposed to a lot of diseases. And Zoonotic diseases are very common. Um, so z- zoonotic diseases, we may have heard of that because COVID is a zoonotic disease. So basically, again, what is zoonotic diseases? This is a disease that comes from a non-human animal and then can jump from a non-human animal to a human. Um, and these places, by the way, are hot spots for COVID-19 and many workers have lost their lives due to just showing up at work. Um, so there are many factors that are extremely physically dangerous in this job. And also this work is deeply psychologically disturbing, right? It's very, it's, it's very emotionally disturbing. So I'm not sure I know of anyone who would want to go to a job where their entire job is killing animals all day. Um, That can lead to post-traumatic stress disorder, which you may have heard of. Um, We hear a lot of post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD coming from veterans or people who are witnessing, like coming back from war or witnessed death and suffering on a day-to-day basis. And that's exactly what these workers in slaughterhouses are witnessing, except with these non-human animals. Um, So they can also suffer from PTSD. Um, They also, again, they don't have access a lot of times to healthcare, so they can suffer from substance abuse issues. Um, There's also a lot of violence that goes on in these communities. So really not a a healthy workplace um, for these workers. And one thing that I just like to ask, so another kind of ethical question here, meaning only you can answer it. Um, There's no right or wrong answer. It's just according to what you think is right or wrong. Um, If we wouldn't slaughter animals ourselves, if we wouldn't go into this job and want to do this job, is it okay to have others, to have these workers do it for us? Um, So if we wouldn't want to do this job, is it okay to ask someone else to do it for us? Um, Just so we can have like a McDonald's hamburger, for example. So just one thing to consider. um, And again, no right or wrong answers, just something that we don't often ask ourselves. All right. So we've come to another cuteness interlude. (sighs) Kind of a moment to take a breath get some stretching in, do whatever you gotta do. All right, so our last section here, um, we'll talk about the environment, which is pretty big, right? Um, We all depend on it. We all have just one planet to live on. Um, And yeah, so a lot of incentive for us to, you know, take care of it. But uh, it turns out that factory farms are one of the single most environmentally destructive industries on the planet, which may come as a shock to you because we don't hear about it all that often, right? Um, and part of the reason, really the reason again, is that that 10 billion animals, animals—those, so that large amount of animals, and just to be clear, the reason why this number is so big, this 10 billion um animals that we are using for food for meat, dairy, and eggs in our country every single year um, is because consumers like us are asking for it, right? We're going to the grocery store, we're purchasing it. Um, So if we were purchasing or if we wanted to eat something else, this number would be a lot smaller. Um, So just to be clear on why this number is so massive. And the Basically the main reason of these, where these environmental problems are coming from is from this sheer number of animals who are living and breathing and eating and pooping. So what do all these animals eat? A lot of corn and soy. And if anybody out here has done a cross country road trip um, with their parents or, you know, with whoever, Um, You've probably seen all of those cornfields for as just far as the eye can see right in the middle of the United States. And the thing about those cornfields is that most of that crop is not being grown to feed humans, but it's being grown to feed animals on factory farms. And the problem with this is that it's not the best use of food. In fact, it's really inefficient. Um, because it actually takes more food to grow, to feed to these animals and grow them than the amount of food we get from eating these animals. So for for example, here, if we look at the image, we can see that for every 100 calories of corn that goes to a cow, we only get three calories back when we eat that cow. Whereas if we were to take the cow out of the situation and just take that 100 calories of corn and eat that directly, we would get 100 calories of corn. So it's kind of like if we were to make 100 sandwiches and throw out 97 of them and only eat three of them. That would be a huge waste of food and resources like water, finite resources, right? Resources that we only have a certain amount of. Um, land, uh, it'd be really wasteful, right? So speaking of land, all of this corn and this soy that is going to these animals on factory farms takes up a tremendous amount of space. And you may have heard about um the the Amazon rainforest and how there have been so many fires there, many of those fires were actually started by farmers and ranchers who were trying to make space for cattle to roam or to grow corn and soy to feed to animals on factory farms. Um, And you also may have heard that the Amazon is the lungs of the planet, right? It helps us breathe. So it's a pretty big deal that animal agriculture is a leading cause of deforestation in the Amazon rainforest. Um, So that's one resource, right? Land. Another resource is water. So which do you think uses more water? all of the water that we use in our households for things like doing the dishes, doing our laundry, um, brushing our teeth, that, that sort of thing, or all the water that we use for animal production, for raising animals for food. All right, I'll give you a minute to think about the answer. And if you guessed raising animals for food, you are correct. So raising animals for food. So again, all that water that is actually first i'll just point out that it's not it raising animals for food is quite it takes up most of our water right so 56% of the water that we use in our society goes to raising animals for food where only 5% goes to things like um, that we use in our households, like brushing our teeth and doing our laundry and all those types of things. However, when we think about ways to save water, a lot of the times we think about um, you know, shorter showers, that sort of thing. So we'll come back to that in a minute. But the reason for this is because, again, all of that crop that is being fed to those animals in our food system needs a tremendous amount of water to grow, right? Because plants need water to grow. So All of that crop needs a tremendous amount of water to feed to a tremendous amount of animals in our food system. Again, more animals in our food system just here in this one country than we have humans populating the entire planet. Um, and again, if we're thinking about ways that we have heard of saving water, a lot of people, sometimes I'll ask people and they'll say, oh, shorter showers or turning off the faucet when you brush your teeth or out here in the West, it's, um, not watering your lawn, uh, or zero scaping your lawn, just taking it out completely. However, it turns out that we can save the same amount of water by switching to a veggie burger from a burger that's made from a cow, if we make that switch just once, we can save the same amount of water as by not showering for an entire month. So on behalf of your friends and family, please continue showering. We appreciate it. But if you are concerned about your water footprint and you want to lower it because we don't have that much fresh water on this planet, to be honest, we only have, I know that the planet's covered in water, but only about 3% of it is fresh water that we can use. And most of it is actually frozen in glaciers. So we really don't have a whole lot of fresh water to work with. Um, so again, the most efficient way to save water on a daily basis, if that is something that you care about, is by doing so through our food choices. So choosing foods that take less water to produce, such as foods that are made out of plants, um, because all we're doing is feeding the plants the water rather than foods that are made out of animals. Because when we're calculating all the water that goes into that burger that's made out of an animal, we're also calculating all the water that goes into that animal's food that they were given for however long they were living for. Um, And one thing that I like to point out that some people ask about is what about the water footprint in almonds because we hear a lot about and some of you may be from California I think we're kind of spread out across the nation today. But if we have any California rights over here. um, You may have heard about the about water being used to grow almonds and how there is there's an enormous water footprint. So I just want to show you this graph real quick that was published in the New York Times. And if we look at the top, we can see that cow's milk um, takes up the most amount of water. Um, So it takes Uh, And then we, if we look at the bottom, we can also see where almond milk is and almond milk. Again, it does take a significant amount of water to produce the same amount of milk. However, compared to cow's milk, it only takes about half that amount of water. So it takes much less water to produce the same amount of almond milk than it does to produce um, cow's milk and Again, we also have oat milk, soy milk, rice milk on here, which takes um, even less water. So if you're really trying to be water efficient, um, I might suggest switching to soy or oat milk. That doesn't take very much water. All right, so water is a resource. Um, What about poop? So all of these 10 billion animals they eat all this corn and this soy and they drink all this water and it goes through their body and it comes out as poop. So here's my question. How many times more waste do farm animals produce than humans in the US? Is it 30 times more? Is it 80 times more? Is it 130 times more? If you guessed 130 times more, you are correct. So obviously all these animals produce a lot more waste than humans produce. And what do we do with all the waste from 10 billion animals? I'm going to show you a video that shows um, what happens with all this waste.
0: There we go. You're looking at a lake toxic pig feces and urine the size of four football fields. That's because thousands upon thousands of pigs are inside of these buildings. Their waste falls through slats in the concrete floor and it's flushed directly into this giant open air cesspool. How many of these kinds of factories are there? In North Carolina alone, there are over 2,000 and the consequences are disastrous.
2: The waste falls through, through the floors; it's flushed out into an open pit, like a cesspool. It's easy for a big hog operation to have as much waste as a medium-sized city. Of course, the pit will fill up, so it has to be emptied, and they're emptied by spraying the liquid waste. If you're familiar with a garden sprayer, they're gigantic versions of that. So they're making droplets, fine mists out of this liquid waste, and that can drift downwind into the neighboring communities. So This is where they spray out no waste on us. This is about eight feet from my mother's house. What is it like when the mist? Is it's like you think it's raining. Really? You, th- you think it's raining. We don't open the doors or, or the windows, but the odor still comes in. It takes you
1: Okay, so what happens to all this waste? It goes into these giant poo lagoons, which you saw, kind of that pepto Bismo-y looking thing. And when those fill up, they get sprayed. It gets sprayed into surrounding communities, and this causes a lot of um, a lot of health issues for these surrounding communities. So, like asthma, respiratory issues. Um, so a lot of trouble with breathing, and these people are really trapped in these situations. Um, So, in addition to that, going back to the environment, all of this poop is, again, it's being sprayed into the air and it is contributing to climate change, which I'm sure we've probably all heard of by this point. And it turns out that animal agriculture produces about the same amount, the same amount of greenhouse gases, almost, as the entire transportation sector, so this is worldwide. globally, all the farmed animals, this whole industry produces about the same amount of greenhouse gases as the transportation sector. And I wanted to say that twice because which do we normally hear about when we're hearing about curbing climate change? Transportation, right? We normally hear about cars, um, you know, ride the bus, take your bike, um, buy a Tesla. Not everyone has $60,000 to purchase a Tesla though, but hopefully every day we do have a couple of choices to decide what foods we're putting on our plate and how that is affecting the environment. Um, and since it's pretty relevant to today's world, I'll also mention that just as factory farming plays a role in the environment, it also plays a role in public health with the emergence of infectious disease such as COVID-19. So. Just to be clear, right, nothing's really independent in nature. It's all interconnected. So, if public health um, isn't doing well, it's likely the environment isn't doing well, and vice versa, right? They're very much connected. Um, And according to the United Nations, there are seven major factors that contribute to the spread of emerging disease, which you can see here. And animal agriculture plays a major role in almost all of them. So again, everything's really connected in the world. Um, All right, so on to an ethical quandary question, um, which again, only you know the answer to, because it is according to your values. Um, First question, do we have a moral obligation to respect the environment? So like, you're not throwing trash on the ground because, um, you know, no one's, No one's paying you not to throw trash on the ground, but you feel like it's not the right thing to do. You don't want to do it because it's not nice to the environment. Um, So do we have a moral responsibility to respect our environment? Do we feel like it's the right thing to do? Some of you may be saying, no, it's not my problem. Some of you may be saying, yes, absolutely. Um, So next question, now that we know a little bit more about how factory farms impact the environment, right? We talked about... Water pollution. Um, so all of all these factory all in water use, right? So we only have a certain amount of fresh water in the world, um, and a lot of it is going to these factory farms. Um, we talked about air pollution, all those greenhouse gases that are going into the air that are um, contributing to climate change. Um, land use deforestation so all of the trees that are being chopped chopped down in the amazon rainforest so that we can grow food to feed to these animals on factory farms even though it's not as efficient as if we were to eat that food ourselves Um, and that's another thing to think about too right for those of you who are interested in um, social justice is we have a lot of food insecurity so a lot of people are going to bed hungry without enough calories in their stomachs and Um, there's actually been a study that's shown that if we ate, um, if we ate more plant-based foods, um, instead of animal foods, we'd have more plant-based foods and we could feed more people with plants than we can with animals. So with all that in mind, now that we know how factory farming affects our environment, should we. Consider our food choices when we are trying to make choices that are good for the environment. So, that's another question you can just kind of think about in your head. Um, and while you're thinking about it, you can stare at this beautiful hen with her mother chicks or with her little chicks. She's the mother. <laughs> All right. So, we have, um, we're almost done here. We're at our last section. And Um, again, I am so excited to be talking about the some of the ways that we can take action here, because I've talked about all the ways that factory farming is harming all these different aspects of life, which is kind of the sad part of this presentation. But um, now we're getting to the good part. So what can we actually do to try and um, improve this situation? And the first thing that we need to do, the the basic solution is pretty simple. Uh, we need to eat less animal products um, or less meat. And this is something that world leaders have agreed upon. So we need to, and um, specifically in order to stop climate change, which is something that affects everyone, right? If we don't have an earth to live on, um, then we we don't have anything else. So in order to stop climate change from getting any worse and make sure that we have enough clean water and food for a growing population, um, we cannot continue to eat meat multiple times per day. Um, So world leaders have suggested that we at least cut our consumption in half so that we're not eating as much meat as we currently are now, which makes sense because if we think back to our ancestors they were never eating this amount of meat. They may be eating some animal products, but they were never eating the amount that we're currently eating today, which is an enormous amount. Um, Now, something that you might be thinking of is, well, if I cut down my consumption of meat, if I stop eating so much meat, is that really gonna make a difference because I'm just one person? And what I like to say to this is, I like to speak, well, have Greta speak to the power of one person. So Greta Thunberg, we may remember her. um, She started as a 14-year-old striking for climate all by herself or um, going on strike on behalf of climate um, all by herself because she felt so passionately about this issue and she decided she had to take a stand. And even though she was just one person, her idea went viral and just a year later, she inspired 40 million people around the world to strike for climate with her. And that is exactly the kind of impact that each one of us can have. Um, And as you can see from this quote, she also understands the importance of food choices in fighting climate change. Um, And really food choices uh, that are better for the climate have never been easier to to come into contact with. Uh, So Burger King, KFC, Dunkin' Donuts, Carl's Jr., all these different places are Um, fast food restaurants that are now supplying customers with plant-based alternatives. So at Burger King, for example, there's the Impossible Burger, um, which is made out of plants because it is easier on the climate. um, It's easier on the workers, easier on the animals, of course. And then it's um, it's also meant to taste like a regular burger that's coming from a cow because that's the taste that we're used to, right? And a lot of people don't wanna give up that taste and we don't have to either because there are all these different plant-based alternatives that are out there. Um, but we can also find them in our local grocery stores. You can be as simple as going into a Target or a Walmart and swapping out those chicken tenders, those Tyson chicken tenders, with some Garden um, crispy tenders that you see here in the top left-hand corner. Uh, some another thing that people will say is, what about price? Um, isn't it more expensive to eat more plant-based foods than foods that come from animal products? So this is just an example. If you go onto the Chipotle website and you're building your own taco, um, you can see here that the sofritas and the veggie option are the same price as the chicken option and even less expensive than the steak option. And I do wanna point out that I just showed you a bunch of really processed foods. Um, And it's important to remember that if we wanna keep our own bodies happy, um, doctors really recommend a whole foods plant-based Option. So, and uh, the World Health Organization, according to them, they've also noted that people are not getting enough fruits and vegetables. So this is your reminder to eat your fruits and vegetables and eat them how they look like when they, when you first pick them off the plant, not when they're processed. So that's, what's going to make your body the happiest um and we probably are already eating a lot of plant-based foods that we're not even fully aware of peanut butter and jelly i don't know if we have any peanut butter and jelly fans out there i'm a huge fan um peanut butter and jelly if you put it slap it between two pieces of whole wheat bread, it has even more protein than a McDonald's hamburger. Um, So lots of options out there to choose from that are plant-centric and leave factory farming out of the situation. Uh, And speaking of protein, uh, a lot of people also ask about that. And something to note about that is that we can actually get all the protein we need from eating plant-based products. So here are a bunch of athletes that are completely plant based, meaning they don't eat any meat, dairy, and eggs. They don't have any factory farming in their diet at all. And they are, as you can see, um, they are doing just fine. Some of them are actually Olympic athletes. So they are, which means they're the best in the world at their sport. And one thing that I really want to drive home here that I really want to emphasize, I'm just going to open the door for my dog real quick. There you go, bud. He's like, I'm not waiting for you anymore. Um, one thing that I want to emphasize here is that it's not about perfection, right? Um, it's not about labels. A lot of people hear this information and say, "Well, I can never stop, you know, giving up factory farming from my diet completely." And the truth is, you know, you don't have to. A lot of things that we can do is we can kind of taper away from the factory farm diet. So even if that means just trying a meatless Monday or trying to eat um, meat one day or um, or reverse that, right? Um, if we're taking meat out of our diet one day a week, or if we are just eating meat, um, one day a week, if we have like a cheat day, I have a very good friend of mine who does that, um, where factory farms are only in his diet one day a week. And the rest of the days are all plant-based options. Um, Yeah, we really, you know, even making small changes can make a huge difference when it comes to our impact on the animals, the workers, our own bodies, and the environment, of course. So um, it's not all or nothing. Uh, even, even one day we can make a huge, huge difference. So again, we are Factory Farming Awareness Coalition. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, um, TikTok, all the social media places, of course, and learn more about factory farming there. If you still have questions, or you can also reach out to me um, to ask questions, um, And if you are really interested in this subject matter, and if you are a high school student, or if you are a college student, we do have an Advocacy Institute, which is a great opportunity to dive into this subject um, head on and really understand how, um, today we really just scraped the surface of the issue. But if we wanna dive in deeper and understand how factory farms are um, really, a human rights issue, a social justice issue, um, environmental issue, Uh, dig deeper into that. You can apply for our Advocacy Institute and I'll just play a little video clip that will explain a little bit about what that is.
2: Factory Factory farms are destroying our planet, fueling everything from climate change to deforestation to water pollution. Do
0: we close our eyes
2: to this destruction? Or do you find
0: that? FFAC's Advocacy Institute is a network of diverse and passionate individuals preparing for a career in advocacy. Build your leadership skills and connect with others who okay. care. Join the movement to end factory farming.
1: All right. So again, if that is only for high school students or college age students. So if we have anyone who's interested in that, I would definitely just apply, at least there's no harm in applying. Um, so check that out uh, further on our website, ffacoalition.org. And Um, that is my last slide. So I will just take a moment to thank everyone for your attention to this subject matter today. It really warms my heart to know that you are considering this subject because again, it's a topic that is not often considered despite the fact that it is a huge part of all of our lives. So thank you so much, uh, shaman, um, uh, I'm sorry, I think I pronounced it wrong. (laughs) Um, I'm always horrible with names. Uh, But thank you so much for having me, and thank you, everyone, for being here.
0: Thank you so much, Alexis. I hope I didn't say that too loud. Um, That was a very thought provoking presentation, and I even learned some stuff that I didn't know. Um, And so I hope some teens can walk away from this inspired to start or continue to advocate for animals and that those small changes really can have a big impact. Um, If you want to donate to FFAC, I did put the uh, link in the description of this live video, and I will for the podcast format as well. And yeah, just thanks again. I hope everyone has a great day. Bye!